So all of you out there in podcast land, you deserving listeners, you all have, I'm guessing, had the experience where you're looking at that shelf in your kitchen and you have all those coffee mugs and the coffee mug shelf is just is just overflowing with this. This is what just happened to me recently. I, I just realized I had way too many coffee mugs. You know, it's it's not likely I'm going to have 50 people over to my house to have coffee at any given time. And I'm looking at this shelf and I'm just thinking, okay, I need to get rid of some coffee mugs. And I'm, and I'm looking at one and I'm like, oh, I can't read that one. That one's sentimental to me. It has the space needle on it. And I remember buying that at Salmon Days in Issaquah. I can't get rid of that one. I, I got that one because I gave money to a podcast and they sent that to me in the mail. It's a special mug for me. And this is the thinking that essentially leads to my problem on this shelf. Well, we all know that we can all run into problems like this. You know, your garage fills up, your closet fills up with stuff, your house fills up with stuff, your your inbox and your email fills up with stuff. We just we have too many the 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 problem with today in first world countries anyways, we, we just have just mounds and mounds of stuff and we can all relate to that. Well, for some people as you all know, since there was a reality show about this, it can be taken to a pathological level where they have what we call, now call in our industry hoarding disorder. And this is a very serious issue. It's way beyond the mug situation that I was describing. People are in their houses and they can't even get to the kitchen. They can't get to the bathroom. Their functioning is impacted a great deal. And they're really suffering. And the common way that we approach this is we have an intervention and we go into their house and we force them to throw away all their stuff. And empirically, this has been found to not only not work because soon they have it all back in their house after the intervention is over, but it even can sometimes become worse. And so... We need as a society and as a field of psychotherapy to really start looking at this in a more intelligent way and in a way that's effective. And from what I understand, there's not a lot of effective therapies out there and a lot of misconceptions. Well, as a person at the, at the tip of the spear who was trying to raise awareness about hoarding, trying to, trying to, Uh, help these people in a holistic way, who have had on the podcast before, Dr. Jennifer Sampson, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. Hi, Kirk. Hi. So it is Hoarding Awareness Week soon. It is next Monday. Yeah. It's 24th of October. The 24th, October, 2016. Yeah. Some people will be listening to this episode like years from now, so... (laughs) So, uh, but you'll probably have this every year, right? Yeah, every in, single year. In mm-hmm. October. In October. And this is for Washington State, and it, your, your, your institute, your foundation is in Tacoma, Washington. That's correct. The Hoarding Project. The Hoarding Project. 
Well, I want to talk about that and uh, get to know more about that. Before we do that, let's introduce the podcast. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I'm chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, Seattle, and I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist. Jennifer, who are you? I am Jennifer Sampson. I am associate chair of the Couples and Family Therapy Program at Antioch University, and I am executive director of the Hoarding Project, which is a nonprofit organization. Organization, uh, aimed at research, treatment, and education around hoarding disorder. And you're also a licensed marriage and family therapist I am. with a private practice in Tacoma, Washington. That's right. So why do we need a, a week for awareness regarding hoarding? Yeah, hoarding disorder is a pretty brand new mental health disorder as of the last DSM uh, in 2013. Um, so it is a a new diagnosis that most people don't know much about. And this is a diagnosis that uh, studies can project affects up to one in 20 people in the population. Wow. Yeah. So it's like 345,000 people in our state, in Washington state. Yeah. I can think of people that I know who I would say have a low grade version of it. Yeah. Where it seems out of control, where it seems, you know, it's one thing about having, like I said, the mugs thing, mm-hmm. you know, it's another thing when I I don't want to be specific, but <laughs> <laughs> it's another thing when, yeah, it, it financially or, uh, just, there's a threshold that I think in my mind anyway, where it crosses the line into, uh, concerning. Yeah. It definitely does. And it's really about functionality. Okay. Yeah. So when somebody's home becomes kind of like storage space, right? Yeah. Um, and they can't function the way that, or use their home in the way that they, they want to or should be able to, like cooking yeah. in their kitchen, sleeping in their bedroom, that kind of stuff. Right. Because people will have stacks and stacks of stuff on their stove. Sure. In their fridge, outside of their fridge. They can't. So it gets to that level. Can you tell us more about what these sorts of situations might look like. Sure. Um, So it kind of depends. Hoarding is, people kind of talk about it as like an on-off switch, like somebody hoards or they don't, but it really, like many things, is like a a spectrum of behaviors. Um, So it can all, I mean, we all know what clutter is. You know, our houses get a little bit messy. Mine is right now because I've been running around and not been home much. So um, stuff gets disorganized and like laid around the house. Um, But if we're not organizing clutter and it keeps adding on to itself or bringing more things in and we're having a hard time getting rid of them. Like you talked about with the mugs, you know, there's lots of different reasons for keeping things. Everybody's got their own reason. Um, Things are coming in at a higher rate than they are going out. uh, And these piles of stuff start getting in our way in terms of functioning. We may be running into some hoarding issues. Yeah. And what kind of things have you seen where people's lives are, negatively impacted or where their functioning is being impacted specifically? Um, well, it depends. I mean, in my head, is is it always the same? Is it always... Because I've seen houses yeah. where the insides are filled with stuff and there's this very tight corridor... Yeah, like little pathways. ...in between mm-hmm. with, with... You can't see the ground because right. there's stuff on the ground too. So you're, you're essentially walking through a, a completely filled warehouse of of various, whether it's magazines or boxes mm-hmm. or 
whatever clothes or clothes. art supplies yeah or, or garbage cups. sometimes yeah garbage. i knew someone as a kid <laughs> coffee cup i knew someone <laughs> as a kid who i think they just kept boxes in mm-hmm. the, in this one room it was it was just like cardboard boxes sure and it was a i'm i'll never forget it it was this valley from one door to the, to the other door you couldn't see the floor and you just had to kind of crawl through this through this room and that's all it was like yeah. it, it was that there wasn't i don't think there was anything in the boxes but is that the common typical presentation um it can be but it's not always so hoarding can look a lot of different ways so some people i mean it's hoarding has to start somewhere so it can start in just you know one specific room and kind of just start piling on on top of each other some hoarding homes that i've gone into have perfectly clear pathways and there's actually no safety concerns but they do have you know the main characteristics of hoarding they excessively acquire uh, they have a hard time getting rid of things, and yeah. some are there, some areas of their home they can't use because of so much stuff. Yeah, um, and it's impacting functioning somehow. Yeah, and then sometimes they look like the houses we see on TV. Like you can't, there's no pathways. They're just walking on stuff. Yeah. There might be squalor or infestations or rodents. You know, right. things in the home. Yeah. Do you ever get referred cases where it's mainly squalor and not hoarding? Um. Because there's no squalor disorder, you know what I mean? Right. So I was just imagining you would get referrals Mm -hmm. from, they're not hoarding, but they're not cleaning their cats or their houses or like there's moldy stuff everywhere and it's a health concern. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but there's not a lot of help out for those people. Yeah, those are the the very, very toughest cases. Um, we do get some of those referrals because we're pretty like well networked and like with adult protective services or you know right. any of the emergency responders that right. kind so of stuff. Code an emergency responder comes to like a an EMT comes to a home because someone had a heart attack or something. Sure. Yeah. And they see this house and they think this this is you know, this is not a typical situation. And they're like, well, who do we call? Mm-hmm. Well, there's nobody. Well, there's the hoarding people. They, they they go into homes and they help, so they probably call you because of that. Yeah, and even in those situations when we know that there's some serious health hazards going in, uh, we probably won't initially go in, but we'll make referrals to different companies around the area that could go in who are equipped with you know personal protective equipment to be able to go in and do an initial assessment. Hazmat stuff. You got it. Yeah. Yeah, cause it's dangerous okay. sometimes. Yeah. Uh, why? Because of like germs and germs infestation. So if there's like rodents, you know, rodents can carry diseases, hantavirus, you know, parasites, things like that. Yeah. Um, sometimes in those really bad situations, we can be dealing with like plumbing not working. So yeah. there's like human waste or animal waste inside the homes, yeah. rotting food. You know, things can get pretty bad pretty quickly, actually. Yeah. It's just interesting because I, I, I hear these voices in my head saying things like, man, these people are dirty. Someone's got to, or this person's hoarding. They got to clean that shit out, you know, because we all deal with a little bit of clutter, like you're saying, sure. or a little bit of hoarding, sure. you know, in the broader definition. We all deal with, with filth in our house at times. We all, I have cats and dogs and, you know. And on a daily basis, there's <laughs> there's some poo or pee related, you know, events. Yeah. And so if someone came over to my house right after one of these poo or pee related events, <laughs> they'd be like, you know, that that's we're like 2% down the squalor, <laughs> you know, spectrum here. 
So we all deal with that. And so when we see it in its extreme, we just think like we just need to yell at these people. You know, we just need to like say, hey, you know, clean or get rid of some stuff or, you know, but it's really different than that. Right. Yeah. I think that's a really very, very important point. I think that the disconnect happens when we fail to recognize that hoarding disorder is a mental health issue. And so there's a lot of overlapping pieces that feed into how this disorder develops that, yeah, it's not just an easy decision. Right. You know, just pick like, up your stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Just they would organized. do that. They would yeah. do that if they could. Right. You know? yeah. So I want to get more into that in a second. Right. And But I also, but we need to take a break in a, in a, in a second. But before we do those seconds, I want to ask you again to repeat what people can do if they can want to participate next week in the Hoarding yeah. Awareness Week. So at the start of the week, we're going to be kicking off a declutter challenge. And this is October... October 24th, 2016. Tacoma, 2016. Well, on Facebook, really. Oh. So you can participate from wherever you are. And so basically where this idea came from is that I got home from a trip the other week and I came home and my place was just a disaster there was so much stuff all over and so i got in a like a purging mood and i went through my closets and i just got a ton of stuff to donate and loaded up my car and i was like i'm going to talk about this during uh, hoarding awareness week because i was noticing that some things were really hard for me to let go of yeah. some things were easy like what um the hardest thing for me to let go of was like empty boxes that things I bought have come in that were like really good quality boxes. Mm. Like my Apple computer came in a really nice quality box. I was going to say, Apple has the best boxes. Yeah. Yeah. And that empty box from my MacBook that I bought like two years ago, sitting in my closet, taking up space with nothing in it and me going, but it's such a good box. Like I don't want to get rid of it. Or like this nice dress I bought once or this handbag I bought once or whatever. These empty boxes are filling up my closet. And I like had the hardest time going, I'm, I'm just going to recycle these. And so my declutter challenge is that I'm going to like blog about this on our Facebook page. On Monday? On Monday and post pictures of the stuff that I got rid of. And then I'm going to challenge certain people to do it. And mm. my goal is that those people will then start decluttering a little bit, talk about their experience and then challenge some more people. Interesting. Yeah. And that is a way to make it personal or visceral a connection yeah. for everyone to raise awareness yeah. and to also in the spirit of kind of decluttering and kind of gaining back people's use of their homes yeah. do that yeah so that's on monday we'll be doing that throughout the week and then that friday the 28th um, we are hosting our third annual conference all-day conference on hoarding disorder in tequila just south of seattle oh, okay mm-hmm. and this is october 20, 28th 28th mm-hmm. 2016 tequila and you're having your conference Thursday, just Thursday or Friday, Thursday, Thursday, just, Fr- no, just, oh, Friday. just Friday, sorry, just Friday, just the 28th, Friday, the 28th. Mm-hmm. and this is a conference. You, you have a number of classes. And yeah, speakers. we have 12 different breakout sessions, three different keynote speakers. Wow. Um, we have mental Are health one professionals. One I'm one of them. <laughs> yep. I'm going to be talking about hoarding cleanouts and a, a new of, uh, protocol or intervention we've developed called safety day. Okay. Um, and we have a ton of other speakers, uh, adult protective services, code enforcement, um, 
So this is mainly for home inspectors, clinicians, or could it be for anybody? We have attendees who are there on a personal level, professional level. We have a multitude of different fields that are represented: housing, social workers, professional organizers. So this is the fourth year you've done this week. Yeah, this is the fourth year we've done this week. And have actual hoarders come to the conference before? Yeah, we have people who hoard. We have their family members who come. Um, they can all attend it. We have uh, special sessions that are geared more towards uh, hoarding on a personal level. Okay. Yeah. Well, on Facebook on Monday, I will do the mug thing. I'll tag you in. I'll challenge you to do the de- decluttering. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll have to make some, some tough choices about the mugs. <laughs> But before we get into, I want to talk about the treatment. I want to talk about some other things with you. But before we do that, let's take a break, okay? Sounds great. All right, we're back. So, Dr. Sampson, tell me about the treatment. But before you do that, tell me, how did you get interested in this? Are, are you a clutter person? I'm not that cluttery. Um, are you annoyed with clutter? I do, but I also think that is like, a sort of like a factor that's related to that. This is what I do for my living. Right. Yeah. So but were you annoyed with clutter before? Like, how did you nah. get interested in this? Well, I got interested in it because of reality television. Oh, <laughs> so there's nothing good, like an inspirational about like, so research. We could just as well be talking about like fashion or, <laughs> <We could. laughs> or like American idol right now or something. Right. Which probably at that time was like, at the time I came up with this brilliant idea was also on my on my radar. So yeah, yeah. it's just like the mood I was in that day, I guess. <laughs> Isn't it interesting how we just sort of, you know, you always expect, it's like, well, both my parents were hoarders <laughs> and, you know, I couldn't stand it. And then so I decided when I was five years old that one day I would become a doctor of hoarding. Yeah. But it's like, no, I just was watching reality TV one day and I thought, and and you're probably, you were in doctoral <laughs> yeah. program and you're like, oh, I need a dissertation idea. <laughs> I just needed a, like an idea for a class that was coming up. I had to do like a mini study. Oh, a mini study. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, oh, okay. How about hoarding? <laughs> yeah. And then it just blossomed it into really your did. dissertation mm-hmm. and then a specialty of treatment mm-hmm. and then your post-grad work and then yeah. you started the, the uh, okay. Yeah. So, so you're, you don't have a particular... Uh, backstory regarding hoarding? No, I mean, now as an adult, I can see like my grandmother definitely hoarded. Okay. And I always, I mean, but I never really thought of it growing up. I mean, we didn't have language for it then, right? Like, yeah. and so we'd go over to my dad's mom's house and like her basement's just filled with quilt stuff. Yeah, I, I, I kind of feel like back in the day, it was like, that was par for the course. Yeah. Like the older you were and the longer you lived in a house... You just had a bunch of weird old junk. Yeah. Because my grandparents... Or is this your Filipino grandparents? No, my other side. Your my wife. Norwegian ones. <laughs> so, yeah, my, my Japanese grandparents had this huge house for five kids and two adults. And w- when all the kids moved out, they kept the same house and filled in all, yeah. the, all the extra space with all this. But I loved it because it was like a museum. Yeah. I even found it was in Spokane, this house in Spokane, and it gets hot in Spokane. Uh, you know, that similar system of hot air that comes up from Texas, you yes. know what I mean? And just in Minnesota where you're <laughs> from. Um, and I opened up one drawer and there was a melted golf ball. What? <laughs> a golf ball had half melted. Ugh. Like it's, it's made out of rubber bands, I think in the yeah. middle. And, and I just thought, like, how many summers in this attic has this golf ball been sitting here to melt 
and how hot. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, yeah there'd be old like you know movie posters and furniture and pictures and little trinkets, you know, and little items from the twenties. Yeah. And, and so, uh, yeah, I didn't think of it as something of a problem. I just thought it was like, that's oh, just that's, grandma and grandpa. Grandma and grandpa. They got it. That's is. That's, this is their history. Yeah. They got a bunch of stuff. But I feel like today we don't really think of it that way. No, we don't. There was a shift and I think reality TV had a lot to do with it. Hmm. Kind of raising awareness about this problem that's out there that a lot of people face. Like I said, up like, up to one in five people. Like if those projections are right, that's like on par with one of the most common mental health issues out there, like up there with depression. Right. So tell us about the mental health elements of it, because on one level, again, some people are saying, Oh, they just, they just need help getting rid of their stuff. But what we've defined it in the DSM is a mental illness on par with schizophrenia mm-hmm. or major depression or something. So what makes it a mental illness? Uh, so in order to be qualified as a DSM mental illness, uh, we need to think about like the four major parts of the, the definition. Uh, one is that there's an excessive acquisition of stuff. Okay. Um, so bringing in more things that there's space need or resources for, space need or resources for. but, but not everybody who hoards uh, excessively acquires. So it's actually just a specifier of the diagnosis. So that's not a required criteria. But most people who hoard do excessively acquire stuff. Meaning they might produce stuff? Uh, like they buy stuff or collect free things. But what's non-acquisition hoarding? So if we aren't excessively acquiring, we're acquiring at just like a standard level of consumption it's like right. if i need groceries this week yeah. i'll go out and buy groceries and i'll consume them yeah and that's just like standard acquisition right. or passive acquisition like mail like i'm not doing anything to bring uh, the mail in but it just comes in anyway people will hoard that yeah they won't let go of it okay. so the first major like requirement of the diagnosis is that people have a difficulty letting go of items because they have a perceived need to want to save them perceived need to want to save to save them to save the items so like you know you talked about with like the mugs right i can't let go of this mug it reminds me of salmon days in issaquah like that kind of stuff so people want to hang on to stuff because they have a reason for wanting to save it and these reasons are varied like we all have reasons to hang on to stuff i liked my boxes because they were good quality and maybe i could put something in them someday right yeah 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 i whenever i come across a good box I think it's from college, honestly, because when you're in college, you have a lot of little things and nowhere to put anything, and you need like a good shoe box. Yeah. Like a good shoe box. Like I, I could open my cabinet right now, pull out one of my college. It was actually, it's like a laminated shoe box. It's like the best Ooh, kind of nice. shoe box. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I put batteries in there. And so, yeah. And, but when you get older, you don't necessarily need those boxes anymore. No, you know I have I mean? all the bins I could ever want. Like, right. I have plenty of stuff. But I was like the other day looking for stuff to put in these boxes because I did <laughs> not want to get rid of them. Yeah. So yeah. perceive need to want to save items. Okay. Um, and when you think about getting rid of them, then like increase distress because of that. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like a lot of distress or... Enough that I'm not going to get rid of it, right? Okay, so mm-hmm. so much just so distress. What does that look like, distress? Um, people like talk about increased feelings of anxiety, stress. Like they get agitated. Yeah. Like if someone came after me and said, "Look, you got to get rid of two of these mugs," mm-hmm. 
I'd, I'd be like, okay, yeah, you're right. And yeah. I'd, you know, and I'd say, okay. And no distress. Mm-hmm. But other people... Yeah. So like I mean, increased irritability. No, no, no. You know, you can't. Sure. And like, like a desperation. Like, sure. And we all have items like that, right? Like yeah. that we have. Like it would be really difficult to get rid of, like family heirlooms or a particular, you know, shirt that you had autographed at a concert once, or you yeah. know, whatever. Like we have these like particular things that are important to us. Yeah. So just imagine like the most important thing to you and the feeling you would have if someone was forcing you to get rid of it against your will. Yeah. And then like spread that across to many, many things that are filling up your home. Like that's kind of the experience that people who hoard have. So what's the final criteria? But I want to get back to why does this happen to people? Yeah. So excessive acquisition, difficulty discarding, and then uh, clutter. So there's so much stuff in their home that it's preventing them from using their spaces for the intended purposes. Okay. Um, and the DSM actually says if there are any spaces that are clear in the home, it's only because of uh, the intervention of a third party, like a loved one or a cleaning company or whomever. Okay. You know, if this person was left to their own agenda, they'd fill up the spaces. Okay. And that it's, of course, affecting some level of functioning. Okay. So the person is like, hey, free empty room, like more space to fill it up with stuff. Kind of, yeah. Like stuff would just kind of spread into it. And then I'm guessing the fourth criteria is... That is, functioning is piece. Functioning, yeah, mm-hmm. As with all DSM. As with so. all DSM, right. So sidebar, do people ever have super lots of space or lots of money and basically never run out of space for their stuff? They can. Like I've worked with people who have bought second, third, fourth homes because they ran out of space for their stuff. Why don't they just buy like a warehouse or a garage or something? They'd they fill it up. Yeah. I worked with one woman in, or her maybe, yeah, it was the woman in um, when I was in Minnesota and she had 78 storage units lining the corridor of the interstate from Minnesota to Louisiana. 78. 78. Little like, like 20 by 20 yeah. units filled to the brim. With all yeah, stuff. that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, you know, how does that fit into the disorder? Like, say she's, uh, her house is fine, be, you know, because everything's in a storage unit. Yeah. Does that? Probably not. That doesn't count. Because um, it's not getting in the way of her functioning. Yeah. So I think we have to be good diagnosticians, right? Like, yeah, if we take, we don't want to just take a snapshot of any given time. We have to do a thorough assessment. Yeah. So in those assessments, we're asking about any additional storage units or things like that. So you might get you in your opinion, if she had seventy eight storage units filled to the brim and she had a lot of distress about letting go of things, but yeah. her house was normal because again she had enough money to buy all sure. this. Then you're saying uh, maybe qualify. Yeah. Because, yeah, because you can demonstrate that behavior elsewhere. I also have a hard time imagining that a case like that that was that severe Uh without the house being full would not have a house that's also full. Okay. Yeah. Because the storage units are like the overflow from the house. Right. That's interesting. I mean, because to me, the spirit behind the diagnosis is whatever generates the anxiety as the disorder mm-hmm. and not necessarily the presentation. I'm just that kind of guy anyway when it yeah. comes to diagnosing. I know other people are different, but if someone had 
if someone was essentially suffering to the, the degree that they needed to buy 75 or 78, you know, uh, storage units, then, um, then I would consider, con, you know, considering them as having a mental illness. The other thing here is, is what if someone didn't have any distress about letting go of things, but they just, they just, you know, calmly th- love to collect, mm-hmm. like, you know, say they they love uh, bicycles or something. You mm-hmm. know, those take up a lot of space, and they're just like, nah, yeah, sure, you can get rid of them, but I don't know, I just really, really love all these old Schwins and da 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 da. Does that count as hoarding disorder? So if they really didn't have a hard time getting rid of them, no, right? Like that's kind of the cornerstone of it, that I'm hanging on to stuff because I really believe that I'm going to need this someday for some reason. So they could kind of clutter their house with a... So someone could have a spouse Mm -hmm. that has completely cluttered their house with a bunch of stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, they're like, ah, yeah, let's get rid of everything. And then they fill their house up with it. But so it's not a, it's just sort of a decision, a lifestyle or something that they're doing. It can be. Like, I think it's more rare that that happens. Okay. But like, for instance, we worked with the senior housing projects a couple, like last year. Uh, and we found that in about half of the cases that were, were referred into us that were hoarding cases, like in quotations and hoarding cases, um, only actually about half of them were actual hoarding. Like the rest were situational. Like they, the senior had a surgery and, you know, their household chores got the best of them. But when it came down to it, they actually didn't have a hard time getting rid of stuff. Interesting. So we can intervene way differently in those cases. We can kind of move quickly through getting the home back to order without so much mental health support. Right. But in hoarding cases, there's a lot of distress about doing that. So we have to do it differently. Yeah. So let's get into the treatment in a second. But what's the cause of this? Like, yeah. uh, you know, I'm thinking trauma. I'm thinking, you know, genetics mm-hmm. of mental illness. I'm thinking, uh, you know, grief and loss. Um, I don't know, psychosis. I don't know. I'm thinking yeah. lots of different things. All of it. Like, it's really kind of this perfect storm of a lot of different things. Uh, it is genetic. Uh, people who have first degree relatives who hoard are more likely to hoard themselves. And so this is like a nature and a nurture thing. Um, So it's like people are genetically predisposed to, to this disorder. People are also genetically predisposed to parts of hoarding, like indecisiveness, like that can be a hereditary trait too. Um, We know that um, it's a co-occurring diagnosis. So 93% of the time, it'll show up next to another diagnosis, like depression, anxiety, PTSD, bipolar disorder, something like that. Yeah. Um, trauma is super involved as well. Yeah. Um, we know trauma affects the brain. Right. Um, and people who hoard report higher levels of having experienced like traumatic or stressful life events. Just any old traumatic or... Or is it particular traumas? Um, there are, I think it depends on person to person. So there are some like the big T traumas, like rape, assault, like that kind of stuff, like death of a child, like that kind of thing. But also like, um, like a series of like small T traumas throughout life, like abusive relationships growing up, um, or just really difficult things like infidelity, divorce, stuff like that. People that, you know, are experiencing that. Yeah, I we are a materialistic culture. Yeah. There's a lot of messages and literal gain to have possessions. What if you need this one thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
boy, that's going to come in useful, you know, ness at some point, or I could probably sell that, you know, and when we are sort of chronically afraid, there are various different ways of, of coping with that. You know, you could become a drug addict. You could drink a lot. You could jump out of airplanes. You could focus on romance and sex as a distraction. And I'm guessing you could also focus on hoarding things as like, okay, I've got all my things Everything's okay. I'm okay. Um, you know, no one's going to threaten me and take my stuff away. I've got everything I need. I know where everything is. You know, I could just imagine yeah. that being. I think it can be a comfort thing. I think where a lot of like the clutter and accumulation can happen is because it's so distressing for people to get rid of things, they just avoid doing it. Mm. So it just piles up and piles up. And then we've all been at a place where we've looked at our home at some level and been like, oh, this place is a disaster. I need to do something about it. I don't even know where to start because it's just so much. Right. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So it sort of just becomes overwhelming to... Completely overwhelming. ...even begin the process. I've never met one person who hoards as like defensive as people can be and say that, you know that they would deny it that are like, yeah, I'm really like, I really, really like how my house is looking right now. Oh, really? So they'll all just say, yeah, I don't like, yeah, this, this is never their plan. They have plans to do with all of this stuff, but they haven't had a chance to, or can't access it. Yeah. And I think another thing that's very, very important for us to understand about hoarding is that there's some pretty important cognitive differences, like brain differences, uh, in brains of people who hoard compared to, you know, the general population. Like what? Um, More amygdala action? Kind of. So there's executive functioning stuff that gets involved. So like memory, um, decision-making, prioritizing tasks, like taking a project and breaking it down into the different tasks that need to get done. It's harder. Yeah, kind of. Inattentiveness, like that kind of stuff. Indecisiveness. Um, Impulse control is tougher. Um, the parts of the brain that regulate that um, have a harder time, like course correcting. Like when we want to, we're trying to break a habit. Yeah. Uh, the part of the brain that helps us do that doesn't work as well, right? Um, or it's tougher to make that change in yeah. this in this population. Interesting. And then um, this other part that I just learned about is uh, called the salience network. It's part of the, the it's linked in with like the limbic system, and it it's the part of the brain that like points out that things are important to us. Mm-hmm. So this is what comes into play and in how we can kind of explain how, um, you know, people who can live in hoarding situations for a long time and not recognize that like this is problematic. Um, we've learned that that salience network piece that helps us point out things that we need to be paying attention to. Um, it's under functioning in the brains of people who hoard. Um, and then when we have them start making decisions about like some of their possessions, that part of the brain goes into overdrive and starts thinking that everything is important. Mm. And so it makes it very, very difficult to they like... can't discriminate. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So let's take a break. But when we get back, let's talk about that defensiveness you mentioned and the treatment. Okay? Yeah. So we're back. Jen, tell me, how do people react? What's tell me a typical story here? You know, you get a referral. You're like you're in the house. Like, what does this what does this look like in general? So, 
let's say that uh, let's just say somebody calls in for a self referral, and we can talk about other ways that calls come in too and stuff. Yeah. But someone's determined that you know they have a problem with hoarding; they have a hard time getting rid of things, or even just cluttering. Like some people don't even like wouldn't associate the term hoarding with them because they don't look like tv which is fair a lot of people who hoard don't look like tv oh really yeah most people who hoard don't look like tv tv is just a very small most extreme the most extreme version so that's an important message i think that most hoarding does not look like what we see on television so it's it's less stuff less stuff and not the like garbage and the squalor that we see in a lot of situations. So some people might call you and say, my kitchen's fine, my living room's fine, mm-hmm. but I have two rooms filled to the brim yeah. of just a bunch of junk that I, I'm pretty sure do not need to be there. But I can't use these. It's more like I uh, can't use these spaces and I have a really hard time getting rid of stuff. I need some help. Interesting. So like we're doing a safety day. Would those people day. qualify for the DSM diagnosis or? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So like we're, for instance, we're doing a safety day uh, next week and this home we're doing had like their kitchen's in perfect condition. They've been working on it um, with an organizer. And I think even before the organizer came in, like they kept their kitchen really. So this is an actual, place. this isn't part of hoarding awareness week. This is a. Uh, it is part of hoarding awareness oh. week, but it's not an open event where like we sponsor a, a safety day once a year and bring in like coordinate this big event for and a do p- like a, a, a donated clean out. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a donated clean out for a client who mm-hmm. is asking for help. Yeah. Who's been working with us for a while. Oh. And then we go in and bring their home to safety. Okay. So Off. you got to back up. <laughs> yeah. Here. So someone comes in yeah. they're like, I got, you know, I'm not as bad as the TV, but Mm-hmm. I have some problems, mm-hmm. and then I'm guessing you assess them. Do you assess them? Uh, so we'll refer to one of the therapists. So like a lot of our Antioch students, not a lot of them, but some of the Antioch students do their internship with the hoarding project. Okay. Um, so we'll refer to one of them. So they do a, f- a full uh, mental psychosocial health intake. Yep. mental health intake mm-hmm. and specific questions around hoarding, I'm yep. guessing. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and so they meet for a few times. Right off the bat, we talk with them about the importance of doing a home visit. Uh, we like to do that within the first four to six weeks, barring any like major safety concerns that we're having. I'm guessing there's a lot of it's it's up to you. We're not we're not going to rush to your house yes. right now. We're not going to tell anyone. There's yeah. no intervention. Yes, this is all at your pace. Yes, uh, you're here to you know we're it's collaboration. Absolutely. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so important because I think. That rushing in and putting that pressure is just so stressful for people. And the goal really is to help join with our clients, to connect with them, um, to build that trust. Do people ever come and you assess them and they're like, "Ah, I don't need your help. I don't I don't need this. I'm sure don't don't ever call me. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, they'll call and want help, but then when we actually like attempt to work with them and help, we get a lot of pushback. Some yeah. people just aren't ready to work, and that's true for any mental health thing, right? Yeah, they're just not ready. Yeah. Okay. So then in that four to six weeks, they're just coming to your office. They're coming to the office. Most of the therapy happens in the office, okay. in our Tacoma office. And it's like focused on all aspects of the of the person, like yeah. if they have anxiety or depression or PTSD. Yeah, yeah. so we really teach a lot of because um, it's a co-occurring condition so we teach a lot of like diagnosing and treatment plan building around like how to prioritize what's the most important thing here right. so safety is always first of course okay. um, so Meaning that if their house presents an unsafe situation you want to address that right away because they, they could die yeah if they were coming in and saying like 
I have rotting food in my refrigerator that's like making my whole house smell. Like that's something we would really want to address right away. What other or, kind of or, safety? Like infestations. Like I have mice. Yeah. Um, and they're about, all like, over my house. Gas stoves that you can't get access to or something just seems like yeah and clients usually don't come and talk about that right away right like so we it's not usually till like the home visit that we see okay so this is a problem right this gas stove which with paper stacked on it like we need to address this and make sure it's safe do people ever fix the problem so to speak or recover enough that you don't need a home visit um like in that four to six weeks yeah um I mean, typically, no. Like, if they're coming... I mean, if clutter if clutter was just the issue, people can address clutter. Do people ever come in with a low-grade... Yeah, totally. And, and they're just, like, wanting some extra motivation to yeah. get on it? Yeah, which is awesome. Like, that's the best, right? Because then it's not a safety issue. Because if it's a safety issue, we need to deal with that before we can actually start therapy. Okay. So, in situations... Well, that's sort of a self-imposed ethic, though. I, I mean, that's not... That's not necessarily your responsibility right well i mean what we've found is that we've left clients alone when there are like some safety concerns like we need three foot pathways through the house we have to be able to get you know functionality of the kitchen and clients just aren't able to make that progress when they're like Uh, living in all of it like that intensity in you know, it's like crisis a, mode constantly, crisis, right? I see. Yeah. Okay. So it's like living in it and making progress in the other areas just isn't that effective. I see. So we try to they probably do, can't sleep well. They're in right. a constant state of distress. Yeah. And, people sleep on piles on their bed or their bed so full of stuff that they're sleeping in the recliner or the floor or whatever. Right. Yeah. Okay. So it's really stressful. So a lot, so personal individual therapy, group therapy? Uh, we have support groups, but it's, uh, but it's mainly individual therapy, mainly and or family, family mm-hmm. therapy. Mm-hmm. So you'll suggest bringing in family members. Yep. If yeah, if family members can be there and be good supports, we want them, especially right up front, to be able to support them. Okay. But hoarding also affects families in really negative ways. Yeah. And so because we work with family therapists, we can our our interns and our therapists are particularly adept at helping like heal family relationships. Right. Um, around this issue, and so that's really so it's awesome. four to six weeks of of weekly therapy, or yeah, weekly to like prep them for like find out what's going on, do some basic like mindfulness, like self soothing kinds of stuff to help calm stress. Anxiety is super prevalent in this yeah. population. Um, then so that the when they visit. do have that distress activated, mm-hmm. they have tools to reduce their distress. You got it. Okay. Yeah. So then we do the home visit, determine if there's any safety concerns that we want to address. Do you do this? Uh, the We train the interns to do it. You don't do it anymore? I Yeah, I still do it. Oh. Because mm-hmm. I work with hoarding clients too. Okay. And uh, so we go in, do the home visit. If there's any specific safety concerns, we try to um, make a plan to take care of them. Yeah. Hopefully they won't be um, too difficult. Usually for self-referrals, things are pretty manageable. Like we can do it in like a few hours or a day, like something like that. Um, And once that's in place, then we can work on the mental health stuff. So that might be focusing on whatever's the primary diagnosis at that point, depression, anxiety, PTSD, alongside hoarding disorder. Um, We kind of piece together treatment that way. Interesting. So at this point, the police and the fire department and adult services, not police, but the various different other people, they're not, 
they're not involved yet. No. So if we're talking about like, we can talk about different levels of hoarding. And so like one through five, one, like no problem. Five being stuff we see on TV. Yeah. Like stuff becomes starting to be a hoarding problem around level three. Yeah. Um, where functional stuff is So we're is describing a three right now. Yeah, three. So and you never have to involve outside no. parties. And we want to involve, of course, as minimally as yeah. possible. And a lot of success with this? Yeah, you know, it's slow moving progress, I think, because it's, I mean, a lot of complex stuff, like a lot of trauma and like harder stuff to work through. So, so the home visit after four to six weeks is just an assessment and of safety. And then you go back to the office Mm -hmm. to do your therapy and to, you know, prep for, so you're, only safety has been addressed. Only safety. There's no decluttering. There's no getting rid of it. As much as possible. Like on those days, we're really just trying to hit those safety markers. So you're moving real slow. Moving really slow. So we use like this tool called the Uniform Inspection Checklist. Um, You can like find that online. Um, And it just basically lays out, um, you know, what general like codes or inspections require for a home to be like quote unquote safe. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. So then more therapy, then then what's the next? And yeah. is this all modulized, manualized uh, therapy? Kind, I mean, not kind of. It's unique to each person, really. Oh, okay. um, but but this is a general process guidelines. we take. Okay. Um, so once we have that, like they are coming to us because hoarding is an issue for them. Yeah. So in an ideal situation, we like to work alongside uh, collaboratively with like a professional organizer um, who can go in and help kind of do working sessions with them to continue professional organizing. Yeah. So as someone who helps me organize my mugs, uh huh. Interesting. Yep. Tips on how to organize. And I'm guessing a bedside manner that yeah. helps you to do it. Yeah. And they help like, not just with like the physical labor part of it, um, so they're not just like a cleaning person who comes in and does it for you. Yeah. A good organizer is trained in the area of hoarding and they also will help um, with the decision-making process, kind of building up those skills um, and helping build systems. Like for mail, for instance, when mail comes into the house, yeah. here's what you do with it and how to manage it. Like yeah. they'll teach those skills. Yeah. I, I, You know, there's very few things I really love about myself. <laughs> and one of them is when I get the mail, I immediately... Deal with it. I bring it into the mm-hmm. kitchen. I have a system. Yeah. And I lay it all out and I, and, I, and I open one thing at a time and I just create this pile of, of yes. recycle. And then if I get a bill, I pay it like right in that second. That's good. If I get, if it's a, if it's a, a absentee ballot, I vote right then and there. Oh, nice. Yeah. Cause I, it's like, I just, I've gotten to this point now where it it gives me so much satisfaction to cross things off the list that I can't wait to cross things off the list. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's so. a really good example because I don't do that, and it takes me three days, and now I've got a big stack of mail, right? Right. Yeah. It, yeah. And the if I might sell the model, which doesn't <laughs> sound like I need to, is you're going to eventually have to vote, mm-hmm. and every time you look at and go, oh, I got to vote. That's like two seconds you've wasted and a little bit of stress you've put yourself through. Whereas if you just did it right as soon as you got it, if that's possible, then you've saved yourself all that annoyance and that self-esteem problems and like the, the stress of it all. And, um, 
Yeah. So it's very logical and makes sense. Here's how like my, my thought process works and what happens in the long run when I think this way. And I think a lot of people do it probably like this is I get my ballot or like the voter pamphlet and I'm yeah. like, I want to read this and make informed choices. Yeah. So I'm going to do this when I've got more time and I set it over here yeah. and then it gets piled under my pile of mail yeah. and then it's election day and I don't have time to read it yeah. and then I just fill it out really fast and then I'm stressed and mad at myself. Yeah. Just go to the stranger website. Yeah. And just get the recommendations. Great idea. I'll do that the, this year. <laughs> from the stranger and they'll tell you exactly who to vote for. I'm not even joking. Sometimes I just do that. I just figure, well, someone else looked at this yeah. <laughs> and they've made a decision. Okay. So, so more therapy. So we're talking about the three, the, you know, the three numbers here. And so then what, uh, do you actually go back? So you have a personal organizer there yeah. in the house that's not a therapist. Yeah, they're not a therapist. And sometimes we're able to like send another one of our therapists alongside, whether it's the client's therapist or another one of them to serve in like a stress management function. So what we found with cleanouts in particular is it raises anxiety so much that it actually can be more traumatizing for the client than helpful in the long run. So they're not processing anything rationally. I mean, I'm sure you consider it this, but it creates its own form of PTSD. Yeah. You know, like Mm -hmm. you, like you describe that distress that's inherent. And when that, uh, a clean out, so to speak is threatened, their distress goes up. And so having things leave their house is associated with terror. Yeah. Cause they're processing it in that emotionally flooded state. Right. It's Mm -hmm. sort of like, um, for me, I was originally, I didn't care about needles, but, I had a a needle situation with a doctor and my body just had a complete freak out. Even though my brain was like, it's just a freaking needle, who cares? And then from then on, and then the next time I had a needle, I'm like, well, it's just a needle, but my body remembered the previous time and I had another freak out. And then it just got worse and worse and worse. Like every time I saw a needle to the point where I was avoiding getting certain um, uh, medical treatments because of the thought that maybe mm-hmm. there's a needle. When cognitively, I'm like, needles are fine, you yeah. know? but my body did not like it. So, and that, that's a reality of trauma and the way the brain works that you know, we need to take into account that you know, it sounds like you guys do take it. That's account. exactly right. And that based in that like, theory or framework around thinking about trauma, that's how we developed the idea of safety day. Like really taking more of a trauma-informed approach to doing cleanouts, um, and we're having a lot of good success with it on the ground. Great. Yeah. Meaning that, okay, uh, client, we've talked about distress level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, let's let's remember our mindfulness and our deep breathing yeah. and our going to our happy place or yep. or grounding or whatever mm-hmm. and. Uh, what's your number now? How are you feeling? Uh, well, you guys are in my house, so I'm feeling about a seven. Okay, well, let's take some time. Yep. We're not going to do anything. Uh, re- you know, lower your number, uh, deep breathing, yoga, uh, dancing, uh, whatever. <laughs> Go on a walk. Xbox, get, yeah. whatever floats your boat. What, are, what number are you now? Okay, I'm a two. Okay, so let, let's move forward and, you know, 10 minutes later. How's your number? Uh, I'm doing okay. Okay. You know, and and that's exactly it. That's what we do. So when in these like level three situations, we try to have stress management there to support that kind of process for like a level five. If we're working in, it's like a safety day where we're having to do like a more focused intervention to get the home safe. Um, 
we do that like just at a like more intense level. So we're doing like a month of prep work, like intense prep work, kind of coordinating the day. Um, on that day, we have a stress management team who's there to work um, with the person. And then we work with them on transitioning afterwards. And so family members and stuff too, maybe. If they're totally on board, then they can be there. Do you ever determine this family member is going to be a problem? Yes, and they're not allowed to come on those days. (laughs) (laughs) We've run into major problems with angry family members. Who want to come, but... Who want to come and then just... Don't seem to be supportive. Cause problems on the day. And then it aggravates the client because... And then the day becomes traumatizing for the client. So the Mm -hmm. whole goal on those days is keep client under emotionally flooded threshold so things don't get traumatizing for them. Interesting. Okay. So so then the fours and the fives, mm-hmm. they present more... Resi- they might be forced to do it. Yeah, they're the ones more that we're getting called in uh, by family members or outside agencies. Um, and like, how, how, how... Agencies, government agencies. Yeah, like adult protective services or oh. housing inspections, things like that. Can they force people to do your therapy? No, but uh, we are working with like uh, housing programs to develop like eviction diversion programs. So rather than someone failing their inspection and just moving straight into the eviction process which properties have every right legal right to do. Wow. Talk about traumatizing. Right? Right. Yeah. They've got this stuff and now they're under crisis to get out of the house. And if they get kicked evicted from like senior housing or if they are getting any housing vouchers, they're way more likely to be homeless after this. Like it's bad. Mm. So we work with them to, if it's a hoarding situation to develop, you know, longer term plans to help the residents stay in their home mm. and then learn and develop skills so they can continue to pass inspection. Wow. So the client has an incentive. It's just like, well, I'd like you all to go away. Yeah. But if I don't let Dr. Sampson in my house to help me, that I'm going to be evicted, which is worse. Which is worse. So Dr. So, Sampson. It yeah. Is. So it's basically harm reduction. A lot of times, like how can we teach this individual how to pass inspection? Oh, yeah. so you're not saying complete, clutterless no you're talking about how can you pass the inspection because that's the like shift in thinking that we need to get like inspectors like anyone in like these authority positions to really realize as long as the home is passing inspection it's none of our business how this person's living right i can have eight thousand you know mugs mugs (laughs) (laughs) empty boxes uh in my house as long as you know the yeah. EMTs can get in and out with three foot pathways or whatever, yeah. right? Government, get out of my house. Yeah. Kind of a thing. See, walk in, do your inspection, I pass. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. So that's a different kind of client. That's someone that's not necessarily on board with the idea that they have a problem. Yeah, but just want to stay in their home. Like, we can develop plans around that. Ideally, we get to work with them. They're raising insight. They're yeah. doing behavioral changes. Right. But a lot of clients are not like that. Right. It, really? A yeah. lot of clients aren't like that. Sure. Like most clients aren't like, most of your fours and fives. The higher the level of hoarding, the less willing people are to like go through treatment, the more ingrained a, behaviors are. Is that a characterological thing at that point? You know, is that like a, like a lack of insight? Kind uh, of deal? It can be. I think insight, if we're talking about true lack of insight, it's like a true, un, like no understanding that this yeah, is like, a problem. Yeah. What do you... What are you talking about? This is this yeah, is fine. This is fine. So then, in those situations, if people really don't have insight, we may be talking about more serious mental health issues like psychosis, you know, things like that. 
Um, but likely when people like don't have insight, it's like more likely not wanting to admit that there's a problem, but they do shame, but deep down, but probably like if you deep down, you know, so yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. So with the fours and fives, you're, uh, that's their motivation often. Yeah. So we want to find out what their motivation is. But the same program, four to six weeks home visit, uh, for just safety only? Uh, usually it's a little different with those. Um, sometimes we're called right in and say, like, we need your help because this person just failed their inspection. Now we need to help. So it's a rushed process? Yeah. So then we go, Yeah. So then we kind of go more into safety day mode, which is, like, meet the person, try to, like, join. At their, at their house or? Usually. Okay. Um, try to join with them, build trust, and then prep them for what's going to happen. Do they see you as a arm of the government? Um, not typically. That's why we like, I think human service professionals are a lot softer in their approach. And I think if we can work well collaboratively with like the hard hands of it, like code enforcement or the inspectors, um, we can kind of work together to both get our goal, which is to help this person like emotional and psychological well-being, and get them to stay in their home by meeting. How long does it take before they're up to snuff? Um, well, I mean, the goal is to get them to pass inspection, right. you know, as soon as we can. It's usually, oh. like, ideally, like, a month to work with them oh, up really? to it. Um, so, that's strange. It's like, the harder cases have to go faster because of their circumstances. Yeah, because they're, like, you know, endangering people in the home or around the home. Like, if it's an apartment building. Yeah. Even, like, a, I get calls from, like, the downtown condos in Seattle. like. Yeah on the 35th floor someone's hoarding and it endangers everyone around them and below them. Right. Right. Does so that ever happen? Does yeah. the floor give way? It can. Wow. Yeah. I've worked with professionals who have fallen through floors and homes. Oh my God. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that has to be a quick turnaround and then like a follow up kind of a thing to kind yeah. of keep, keep to sustain. That's the important part because safety day is really not solving anything. It's like putting a bandaid over the problem. Right. Right. So it's not creating any sustainable change. So ongoing mental health help around whatever co-occurring and then also stress management. And making a plan to maintain and to like continue the progress because no decision making really has been made at this point. No like really major discarding about like important stuff to them. It's probably like addiction where it's like you don't just get sober. You Yeah, you don't just get rid of the beer. Yeah, you got to keep going to. Yeah, you have to like go through the process to yeah. like mm-hmm. it, does is that language ever get incorporated like sobriety of hoarding or something uh people can no I, not so much but we do make that like a similar metaphor right like okay. relapses like oh, oh yeah. I, you know i you know i've relapsed i ended yeah. up buying a bunch of junk and putting it in my house yeah so, okay. like relapse recidivism if we don't address the mental health piece and we don't like transition to longer term care after a safety day or a clean out for sure. Like right back where we started. There's no question about it. So at this point, you are one of the only human beings on the planet in the history of the planet that knows about this human problem that is affecting one in five people and how to treat it uh, holistically and effectively. 
evidence-based. There's a good pocket of researchers who are very focused on like treatment and... A small pocket. A small pocket. Like you probably know all of them. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, they're doing a great job of that. How many of them are, how many are you? Like 10 people? I'd say roughly. Yeah. And like, then there's a person in Dr. Tom, Dr. Michael Tompkins in San Francisco who's doing work on harm reduction. Uh, we're the only group doing focused work around like specific clean outs as intervention and safety days. How do we apply a trauma informed approach to doing clean outs? Cause we have to do them sometimes yeah. we would like to avoid them altogether because they're traumatizing. Yeah. But if we have to do them, how do we do them best? Do you sleep well at night knowing you're going to be the Freud of horror? <laughs> I, I don't think about it that way, but you will be. It's helpful to think that yeah. maybe people will do clean outs differently because of the work we're doing. Materialism is only getting worse the amount of junk available is worse. The uh, cheap availability of of Amazon bought stuff is worse. Um, I can only imagine it's going to be worse in, in in the near future, and there will be a growing awareness and a growing uh, treatment of it, thanks to you and and your friends and. People will be doing more research and mm -hmm. they'll be, uh, you know, talking about the Samsonian model <laughs> of, of therapy. And um, yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. You're the Freud of hoarding. One of our board members has a, a great idea that we want to start promoting, like, you know, that, um, like in casinos, they do responsible gambling. Yeah. Uh, we want to be able to do responsible shopping. Yeah. Where um, where do you like at the mall or something? I don't know. Like or on like partner with Amazon or something like that. That, you know, to just it would go against them. Like, but I mean, online shopping and the convenience of it is a major problem for people who hoard. Oh, is it? Or is like it, the home shopping network, like that yeah. kind of stuff. Major problem. You know, Amazon, Seattle based uh, Bezos guy. um I wonder if they might be interested in uh, being socially responsible mm -hmm. and partnering somehow. Yeah. You know, that would be really like an ideal situation. Like their computers know when you b are buying too much stuff mm -hmm. and they could just, you know, your face could pop up on the computer <laughs> and say, <laughs> yeah, just wagging your finger. <laughs> um, interesting. Well, uh, any final words? So the week hoarding awareness, yeah. regardless of what year you're in, it's probably <laughs> in the middle of October. But mm -hmm. in 2016, the Facebook thing is October 24th, 24th on Monday. On Monday. And then October 28th, Friday is the conference, is the conference in Tequila, which is a fun word to say. It's, it's a fun litmus test to see if someone is a local or not. Uh, the Puyallup, Cedra uh, <laughs> Woolley, uh, 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 Samai, Issaquah. Well, yeah, Issaquah. <laughs> uh, all those different fun Native American uh, words and places uh, confound non locals, and Tukwila is one of them. Mm -hmm. And so you're, the conference is there, Tukwila, and you have a number of keynote speakers, yeah. a number of. Uh, different breakout groups and it's for clients, clinicians and, and anyone, who's anyone. Interested. Yeah. And you can register on, you can find information on the website, the hoarding And if you also want treatment, 
do people ever contact you from out of state uh, for, for help? Yeah, so thanks for bringing that up. We do phone consultations or video consultations as well uh, for professionals, for individuals who hoard for their family members. So they can talk with one of our specialized staff members yeah. um, on the phone for an hour and we can do consultations that way. I'm guessing this has already happened, but like in other cities, you probably have like burgeoning experts who yeah. who you've worked with uh-huh. to train so that they can become... I mean, a lot of clinicians listen to this podcast. If you're in New York City, right? you might, if you want, be one of the only people who's trained in an evidence-based treatment of, of hoarding. Mm-hmm. And if one in five people are suffering from this, you could build an entire Absolutely. practice. And we do it. go out and do training. So if there are agencies around the country that want to bring in more training... Uh, for hoarding, uh, we can come in and do that. Like one of our staff members, one of our graduates from Antioch, is actually in Wisconsin this week doing some training for uh, their their mental health staff out there. Cool. Yeah. Who's that? Who's that? Leslie Shapiro. Oh, yeah, Leslie. Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself and your family members. And if you're having an issue with hoarding, have some self-compassion and seek consult, seek safe and at your pace consultation from the Hoarding Project. Take care of yourself because you deserve it. (laughs) 